everybody to Couch to Couch, making therapy make sense with Chuck LeBlanc. Today we have special guest Randy Kozlowski. Randy has been working in the field of emotional and mental health for over 20 years. He is committed to helping improve the lives of individuals, couples, and families with the hope of creating positive contributions to society at large. He believes every small piece can affect the greater whole. Randy has earned a BA in psychology from the University of Ottawa and MA in pastoral counseling from the University of St. Paul's. Randy is trained in emotional focused and cognitive therapies and his style focuses on insight and learning models. Randy is also trained in Gottman Method couples therapy. Randy has also received training in family mediation and has helped people work through issues of bereavement, trauma, conflict, and forgiveness. Randy has worked in the fields of child protection, employee, employee assistance counseling, and private psychotherapy. He has worked with people of different cultures, ages, from child to senior. The pers this perspective adds to his holistic and common sense approach to counseling. Common sense approach to counseling, I love that. And we'll probably end up talking about that somewhere, but before we jump in, welcome to the show, Randy. Thank you very much, Chuck. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And so before I launch in here, uh, I want to give you the opportunity to just fill in any gaps from the bio I just read out, uh, mm -hmm. and then also to invite you to help people find you if you have a website or anything where people can contact you. Yeah, sure. Um, so I work primarily with Courtney James here in town in Kempville. So if you look up uh, Courtney James Psychotherapy and Counseling on web, on Google or whatever your favorite uh, search engine is, you'll, you'll find me there among the staff list. Um, and of course, I'm also listed on the Psychology Today uh, listing, along with most of us as well. Um, just look up my name, Randy Kozlowski, and uh, some contact information in there. And you can always fire me an email through any of those forums, and I'd be happy to reply back just to give you whatever information you're looking for. Awesome. And so, and as far as uh, types of therapy, or rather modes, do you do primarily like over the phone, virtual, and in person? Yeah, so I'm doing a lot of, uh, yeah, doing a lot of the Zoom stuff, this uh, this virtual counseling, and I'm doing some in person as well. So um, yeah, so doing all the all the all the forms that we're all getting used to really quickly now to having to COVID forced us to do. Yeah, we got a pretty big crash course in it. I know that uh, yeah. I managed to get like a a month and a half of it. No, two months of in person therapy in my practicum when I first started, and then boom. Oh yeah. Welcome to COVID, and it was all online and over the phone. Yeah, I was fortunate because my wife actually she's a teacher, so of course that was all virtual, right? So she she had to do it all first, like learn how all these mm -hmm. things worked and how to do the virtual stuff and get the sound working and all that stuff. So I was just able to sort of glean from her learning and didn't and didn't have to go through all that reinventing the wheel and grind it out the way she did. So I appreciated it. Yeah, fair enough. Being able to learn from others. I know it was a weird transition. Uh, you know, when I first started, I wasn't sure how it was going to work. You know, as a therapist, yeah. we're paying attention to so much information, yep. you know, attuning a nervous system, paying attention to body language and all this kind of yep. things. Yeah. But I found it amazing with over the phone clients, how quickly you can start to tune in on tone and inflection and verbiage. Yeah. It's, it's like all of the other stuff. Yeah. No, it's an excellent. Yeah, it's an excellent point. I got. I have other colleagues too. Who's, they're probably the two I'm thinking of. They're more at uh, edging towards the ends of their careers, and yeah, they're thinking about going back. Like even if if it all changes and we're back to where we were, you know, three years ago, 
uh, you know, they're going to stay with the virtual. They just, they find it even a, a better form than, than the in-person stuff. So, yeah. All the it, it all can work. Yeah. And it's amazing with, uh, I know when you have clients dealing with certain levels of anxiety, whether it's social or not, it can be more comfortable for them to work from home. Yeah. Uh, even just over the phone, I deal a lot with, like my primary <clears throat> niche is male mental health. And so most of my clients are over the phone because of that. And they would have chosen that originally. So it was kind of as luck would have it uh, yeah. that these things worked out. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, sorry, something slipped my mind there where you were talking. I lost it. But yeah, I, I agree. Like it's, uh, it works. Oh yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was like, sometimes it's just the sheer, you know, getting to the office, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, 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 uh, you're canceling out this commute, you're canceling out this trying to find the place, you're canceling all of that stuff. And sometimes, in some cases, anyway, in probably lots of cases, you're, you're making it easier for people to, to access services. So in many ways, it's, it's kind of made it better. Yeah, because as we know, it's uh, something I say a lot. It's hard enough to call a counselor yeah. to come in to book a session. I mean, it's absolutely there's a lot of emotions that go into that. Yeah. So as, as less you have to go through the, as possible, because that's already difficult enough. Yeah, and that's like, again, probably COVID and virtual, the necessity for virtual uh, counseling too is probably inspired things like this, right? Like your podcast here. Mm -hmm. And it's a good, it's just a good way to get information out there, right? Like where, yeah, because like you said, it's hard for people to make that call. And sometimes, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing they need to get over, right? Mm -hmm. And so if they have different ways of getting that information, whether that, because lots of times, lots of the phone calls I do are, before they actually book a session, right? Like they want to talk for 10 minutes just to sort of get a feel for me and, or what it's like. And, you know, now we're all used to this virtual and over the phone that we can do that pretty easily. And hopefully get people over the hump that, that need to go there. Yeah, it's really, it's really helped with adaptation. Absolutely. I like that the term hump. It's definitely what's happened because it's yeah. so much easier for people to just pick up the phone and start. Yes, yes, yes. And I do find that too, right? Like once, uh, you know, someone who really does want to come in and really feels like they need to and takes whatever steps they need to take to make com to get comfortable with that, then it is a comp that it is a hump, right? They sort mm -hmm. of, they fall over and uh, it gets easier after that for them. And you can see a lot of gains that are in a fairly short time because those people tend to be quite committed as well. Yeah, that's right. Well, okay. So let's, let's launch into a topic that we're passionate about. So you, you're the bio, there was a lot there that I kind of wanted to jump in. So my head's a bit swimming now. Because okay. uh, before we were talking about, you know, your influence with an old mentor, having yeah. common sense with Adler and uh, yeah. psychoanalysis and psychoanalysis and philosophy, like those are my passions. So I read a lot of like Freud, Adler, Lacan, uh, and mix with postmodern. And this is just where my brain goes. People who listen yeah. to this podcast are used to that spiel by now. Okay. Um, and so how is, because I see also that you've done an MA in pastoral counseling. Yep. So I'm wondering how pastoral counseling, like the spirituality aspect has influenced, you know, that either the type of people that you see, maybe, you know, individuals, family, uh, couples, and how you work and, I kind of want to dive into your thoughts on how it's influenced your work. Yeah. So I think that there is a certain uh, segment or there's a certain um, portion of the, the my clientele that come to see me for that reason, that mm -hmm. there's 
there's a spiritual focus to uh, my degree and to my training. Now, if I'm honest, when I did that degree, that's that spiritual focus is certainly what drew me. One of the things that drew me to do that degree, mm-hmm. and it wasn't as present as I hoped it would be at that time. But again, this is a long time ago too, right? Like we haven't, nobody can see me, but I'm kind of old. And you know, it was 20 years ago when I did, or probably 20 plus years ago, where I did my degree. And you know, even spirituality and counseling wasn't. I wouldn't say it was necessarily a taboo topic to sort of meld together, but it certainly wasn't as commonly done as it is now. Mm. Um, and so, <clears throat> yes, as far as clientele, there's a portion of my clientele I think that are drawn to me for those for those reasons. And as far as how it influences what I do, I think that you know my sense from other therapists and counselors that I know is that it's you know the ideas of values and the ideas of sort of looking one beyond one's life, they're pretty common uh, traits among counselors. Now they're pretty common ideals that people carry with them. So I don't know that I have a whole lot different than what a lot of other counselors who are more currently trained are bringing in, but certainly a long time ago, it was pretty different. And I think that that's what I, you know, I certainly, the spiritual training has helped me to sort of integrate spirituality into every part of clients lives so when i talking to someone and we're trying to resolve this or that you know talking about goals or whatever you know the idea of spirituality the idea of those sort of lifelong values i see them as sort of threading every part of people's lives i think Mm -hmm. i when i'm talking with other professionals who sort of compartmentalize spirituality that's the only time i get really annoyed with that conversation mm-hmm. because i just don't see it that way and perhaps i'm wrong who knows i might get i might get uh, taught a better lesson at uh, some point in my life but certainly to this point i don't see it as a, a compartment of our lives that we do you know if it's your, your traditional uh religious you know one day a week or sunday or whatever i see mm-hmm. it as it's a thread that runs through every part of your life and so I think that acknowledging that in the same way you acknowledge a lot of different parts of your lives is the best way to sort of improve it. Mm-hmm. And so by spirituality, I'm getting like an existentialist vibe, like uh, in terms of like meaning, yeah, uh, meaning and wholeness in a way, yeah. Yeah. something beyond yourself. Can you walk through a little bit about your, your thoughts on what that thread is? Yeah, I think you're 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 edging on it right there in those just those few words that you said it is that sort of what we want to leave when we leave this world right like what will continue for us beyond our own lives and i think that that's what for me that's what spirituality is is that you know in our in our interactions with other people and in our interactions with our family and our helping other people grow we're we're sort of dropping these seeds of spirituality that will outlast us and i think that that's probably the easiest way for me to think of it and to try and impart it to other people. And so what would be, because I know you mentioned it's part of everyday life, so it's not categorized, it's not like specific Yeah. to like, let's say bereavement or something, just to put, make the obvious, like grief would be the obvious one you can go to yeah, yeah. to make that. But so how does it interweave with, hmm, I get, I get, let me back this up because my brain's like sure. spiraling. Hey, it's your podcast. You do what you want. That's right. So let's uh, 
So when I think of it, you know, in terms of needs, right? So a lot of um, core wounds are developed through the the absence of needs. Your needs aren't being met. So something, a rift is now developing. Mm-hmm. And we see this in, in, I mean, that's like a base thing to talk about in mental health because that's generally yep. what's happening, where yep. anxiety, depression, all this stuff comes from. And so if we were to see it that way, how does the spirituality come in to help navigate an unmet need? Mm. Well, it's a tough question. I think that spirituality itself is is a need. I guess I would think of it that way, right? Like I think that to be human is to sort of think of the world and life beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for you? And I think being able to have the conversation about what that means for you allows you to develop that. And it allows you to sort of acknowledge what's already been going on for you. Mm-hmm. And trying to name it, right? Trying to then um, make it a positive part of your life, I think can be an improvement in mental health and emotional health as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, for me, it's got the flavor of like connection. Yeah. The needs. So yeah, it's yeah. a big piece of connection. Yeah, and connection, connection, not just right now, but connection, you know, like when, when we're dead and gone, like what, mm-hmm. what are people going to say about us, right? Like what's mm-hmm. our, what's going to live beyond ourselves? And, you know, owning that, right? Taking, taking responsibility for that because that's something that we are responsible for. That's something that we can affect right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me, it, it reminds me of, uh, you know, Sartre's conversation about choice and responsibility and how we're absolutely responsible for the choices that we make and the things that happen. So whether or not, uh, you know, whether or not I leave my house and for some reason, like a comet falls and squishes me, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't go, you know, this is the perfect time for a, a comet to come and squish me. That's a little different. Yeah. yeah. But if something happens to me, it's about, okay, well, how do I, how do I encounter? What am I responsible for here? How can I, what choice am I going to make in how I'm going to deal with this particular situation? Yeah. 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 Really cognitive there, right? Like how, yeah, we can't affect, we can't necessarily make the choices for the circumstances we find ourselves in, but we can certainly make the choices or how we handle them and how we, how we move beyond them. Yep. Yeah. And I would I say that, it, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it, it links really well with, uh, with spirituality as well. Because if we tie the spirituality aspect to it, it makes it a lot bigger, mm-hmm. right? Because now it's like, well, how is this choice going to affect my family? How is this choice going to affect the community? How is this choice going to affect? Yes. Yeah. And I think too, like a lot of, a lot of times we think of mental health, emotional health. It, it's, I mean, there's a selfish aspect to it, but we think of it as primarily that. Like, I think that too, you know, you're, you know, our therapist who deals a lot with uh, men as well coming in mm-hmm. for counseling. And I find for myself dealing with the same population a lot is people, men don't want to come in because they feel like it's a selfish thing to do, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm going to take care of myself. And like, that's not how it was done. In my family, the men, whatever, did this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think spirituality is, it's very much the same as that. Yeah, you take ownership for that, right? And you're trying to improve that and um sort of being selfish and sort of taking the steps to acknowledge it and do something better with it are actually they're actually very altruistic things because they will positively affect your community they will positively affect your family and your friends and all of those things and 
that's a good path to good emotional mental health for yourself as well. Mm -hmm. If those people around you are positive and, and, uh, and focus people as well. Yeah, I really like that. That's really enlightening a lot for me on this side, because what it's making me think of is, because when you're dealing with male vulnerability, because I know that you do, you just said you deal with the same population. So now I'm yeah. going to start telling you something, you know, Okay. Um, so we can, we can chew on it. Yeah. You know, well, when you people, don't know that I know it. Maybe well, I don't. Well, we'll we'll find out. Okay. Uh, so we know that uh, through male socialization, it's very difficult to process mm. emotions, mm. and one of the reasons for that is because it's uh, we're told and taught and shown that it's weak to do so or it's not right to do so. So there's a shame aspect to certain emotions, mm -hmm. but the emotions we're allowed to have is anger and frustration, yep, or shutdown. It's like yep. one of the three. So the energy has to flow. It's going to flow somewhere, but it's not flowing properly in the yeah. sense of you can't properly engage with your environment if you're cutting your emotions off. Yeah. So what happens is you reinforce that behavior, like let's say to your kids, cause they watch that, uh, to the way you're getting angry. You don't understand why you're mad or having outbursts. Mm -hmm. And then when you come in, I know that one of the big issues I know for myself when I went to counseling, cause this is like part of my own story yep. was I didn't understand what the fuck that the counselor was talking about when they were trying to tell me, <laughs> I have to yeah. be more emotional. I have to be more emotional or more open. Yeah, I remember looking right. at them with like crossed eyes, going, "What am I paid for?" Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what ticket did I punch for this ride? Yeah. Until you throw, it, go throw your chair across the room and said, "There's your emotion right there. That's the one." <laughs> yeah, that's right. To, that's the one I'm allowed to show you. <laughs> that's tons of emotion. Yeah, that's right. But what, what I find interesting in session <laughs> is really one of the pieces that really helps to open up. Uh, the clients is when you relate it to how it'll help and affect the family. Mm. And I know one in particular, which helps almost every time across the board is thinking about, well, look, think about what you're teaching your kids for a minute. So let's look at some behavioral characteristics or behavioral rhythms your kids are going through. Are they related at all? Mm -hmm. And you always have to make sure you're not shaming people when you're doing that yep. because it's, yeah, yeah. You know, the angry outburst is not a bad thing. It just has a bad outcome. There's a yeah. reason it's there. Yep. But the minute you can show someone that and then you can walk them down the line and say, well, we will teach our kids how to calm their emotions or express themselves when we can. So yeah. imagine how powerful it is for you to get a hold of this and then to be able to watch your kids get a hold of it too without yeah. you having to tell them. It just kind yeah. of flows. Yeah. And so often the impetus for, for men coming into counseling is things going poorly at home or things That's going right. poorly with their own uh, their own parenting, right? Where they're recognizing, very often recognizing stuff that happened to them as a child from their own father and not wanting to repeat those. Mm -hmm. So yeah, to relate that back to sort of, you know, that, that good mental health and good emotional uh, health and good self-care strategies, those can have the positive effects in the same way that the negative strategies and the negative emotional health can have poor effects it can work in the opposite direction. So yeah, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good way to motivate people for sure. And it really ties into that spiritual and responsibility aspect. Yeah. 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 Again, yeah. Greater community too, right. And greater, yeah. Greater circle that you're, that you're hoping to affect positively. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, it's, it's sparking me now that you work with couples and families. I don't work with couples or families yet. Couples mm -hmm. I will be dabbling in next year. Yeah. Uh, I keep 
it keeps presenting itself to me and I'm highly, I know. highly I know. interested. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, I did the, the Gottman training myself last year yes. Uh, yes. In, in preparation. I was like, I'm going to do it. And then I just did it. Yeah. Uh, um, but so how does this, everything we just talked about show up for you? Uh, let, let's start with the couples. So before we bring the families in from a couple's mm -hmm. dynamic. So we're talking about the spirituality then, or the spiritual spirituality aspect, and to make it concrete, okay. the male, like male vulnerability mm. and that sort of thing showing up. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I think too, similar to the individual counseling, I think being a male therapist counselor, like you are, very often it's it's the it's the man that seeks me out in the couples counseling as well. So whatever, there's a rift in the situation at home they're deciding that they need to go talk to somebody and uh, for whatever reason, probably to show motivation, um, it becomes the man's responsibility to find the counselor. And of course they make their way to me. Hmm. So I think that even, even before they come in the room, right. Or they're on the, whatever, if it's virtual or whatever, before we even meet, there's, there's a certain, there's a certain rapport that's already built, right? Like mm -hmm. as he's chosen me, he feels some, he feels some uh, commonality with me and I think it eases that situation a bit too. I, I find most often I've that men are opening up more than I ever expect them to just, mm. just sitting down. Right. So not that I've done anything spectacular, not that I'm not spectacular, <laughs> but not that I've done anything spectacular. It's just, they feel comfortable for whatever reason. And I'm, I'm assuming that's some, some element of commonality and yeah, I think that certainly those early stages of couples counseling for me do focus on the men's, you know, what's going on with their role and how we're going to look at improving that. Because being a man myself, being married and having two kids, that's where I'm comfortable too. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully I'm not alienating too many female partners when I'm dealing with uh, heterosexual couples. But um, yeah, so I, I think that I'm... I'm focused there. That's where I start. And whatever needs to come after that sort of leads from that. Because mm. um, like I said, that's just where I'm comfortable. And that's where I usually end up going, at least at first. That's really to uncover their role in the situation, <laughs> in the rhythm. So I always picture this stuff. I'll paint you a picture. And since you're the couples counselor, I'm not. You can help correct me. Yes, of course. <laughs> so I, I always... <laughs> When I, when I picture like the couples therapy, but couples relationships, I picture it like a rhythm. It's like you're, when you get together, you're dancing. Yeah. Right. And then over the course of your relationship, uh, you know, the, the honeymoon phase gets over and every once in a while yeah. you step on a toe and then you've yep. got to correct that. So, yep. you know, you have to depend on what you do to correct that involves the communication between the two of you that could have ripple effects later on if you're not someone who's open with yep. resentment and things like that. Yep. And then later on, you have kids. And when you have kids, your focus is on keeping these things alive because <laughs> you don't yep. get a manual yep. for this. Yep. And so that dance becomes a little <laughs> bit more separated and off tune because you're not able to focus purely like you used to before. Yes. And it's also transforming into a new type of dance involving other people. Yeah. And then very often you meet people who are, you know, 10 years into the marriage, 10 years, 20 years, and they yep. don't know how to talk to each other anymore. Yeah because they were focused on the kids because they had to yeah. be. Yes, So they exactly. lost 
that dance, they don't remember the steps anymore. Mm-hmm. And now they're looking at a, a roommate or a stranger. Mm-hmm. They're not quite mm-hmm. sure how to reconnect. Mm-hmm. And that's how I picture, for the most part, the re-entering, like a lot of problems will show up or get invited mm-hmm. in, yep. in and around that moment. Yeah, no, that's a pretty accurate description. I think that while certainly similar to individual therapy, it's all there's all types of issues that you're going to be dealing with as well, assuming you're going to jump in that boat some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, if I was to categorize a few different couples that I see, certainly you get a lot of the couples that are exactly in that point that you're talking about. Those kids that they've just had are like two and four, sort of three and five. And there's absolutely been a disconnect between, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I don't think I've seen a non-heterosexual couple at this point. So I'll just speak about heterosexual couples because that's what I deal with primarily. Um, yeah, so then we have, you know, a husband and wife that, that again, yeah, they've forgotten how to talk to each other because they've just spent so much time trying to keep these two kids alive and make sure that, you know, they're getting fed and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course it ends up, as, which is always the case, you know, it ends up being a lot more than you bargain for to have two kids. And uh, yeah, there's there's a loss of touch there, absolutely. And um, yeah, and I think a lot of my work with that sort of category of couple is reconnection, communication, and sort of putting in uh, very specific uh, timing, very specific conversations that it needs to be having you know, on a daily, weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And my reasoning for that when I'm talking to couples is, is like, try and remember when you guys were dating, try and remember when you guys were courting each other, right? Like, what did that look like? It wasn't this situation where you just kind of end up together and sit across the table from each other on the couch and not necessarily talk, right? That there was there was planning involved, there mm-hmm. was excitement involved, there was talking involved. And, you know, we need to get back to at least some of that. And sometimes, and I warn people too, I warn couples at the start, particularly if the communication has been dead for a while. And like, you know, you're going to have these conversations. I ask couples to have daily conversations just about whatever, right? But mm-hmm. make sure you're talking. And for couples that haven't been talking a lot, I, I warn them, I'm like, it's going to be awkward, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be awkward to have this conversation every day, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I think in one of the trainings I took, and it might have been the doctor, he, uh, whoever the trainer was, was talking about, like, if you play tennis for 10 years and, you know, you do pretty well, but you kind of get to a limit of what you can do. And then a professional coach comes along and teaches you a new grip. Like, it's going to feel awkward mm-hmm. for a while, right? But it doesn't mean you shouldn't make the change. If you want to make things better, then you got to do that. And then uh, certainly another category of couples I'm seeing a lot too is like the second, second marriage or second significant relationship. These people are, this this couple this category of couples usually past the kid stage and um yeah having a hard time sort of reconnecting sort of connecting the old lives with the new lives Mm -hmm. and uh so i think in that case it's a lot of these what you're talking about what we've talked about i'm not sure we just recently talked about it but we talked about at some point these old resentments that keep Mm -hmm. coming up that might ne- might not necessarily have anything to do with the partner they're with currently, right? But they have to do with issues of trust. They have to issues to do with issues of commitment that they feel insecure about, and they're bringing that insecurity to this this current relationship. So you know, like most of that work is probably more about specific to conflict mm-hmm. and how to have a healthy conflict, because perhaps in those situations 
that couple has only ever learned to have negative conflicts. Mm -hmm. They view conflict as these harsh arguments that, you know, people are just trying to one up each other and necessarily feel like they've, like they've won, but there's not a real focus on solution. There's not a real focus on resolution and not so focused on compromise and sacrifice, right. To get to a place where, where both sides can be happy and the relationship can flourish a little bit more. Yeah, that makes sense, especially with resentment. <laughs> One thing I always, because I, I send a, a lot of my clients like to couples counseling because it's like it's yeah. appropriate, and then I'll yeah. I kind of give them a, a very quick seminar of what couples counseling is all about. And all, yeah. all I usually say is, you know, couples counseling is a communication seminar. Yeah. Right. It's it's you and your partner versus the problem that has been invited in. It's not. Yes one person's the problem or the other person's the problem. Yes. It's the relationship. Now something has sprouted that it's undesirable. And there's many reasons why that could have shown up. I mean, the plants that sprout need water, sun and compost. So a lot yeah. of stuff jumps in there. Yeah. But the idea behind couples counseling is, is to look at your relationship, not in the sense of how do we compromise on something? I hate the word compromise because when that comes up, that's incredibly damaging. I think in my opinion, I think it's all about negotiation, which is very different. Right. Yeah. And couples counseling is all about, okay, well, let's increase our negotiation skills with each other and actually relearn about how each other works. Yeah. So we know how to negotiate. And one common thing that shows up is how do we deal with the other when they've already been sparked, when they have an amygdala response. Yeah. So we know, you know, because when you have an amygdala response, I always say you're just, your monkey's throwing poop now. <laughs> yeah, that's so right. we're not trying to solve a problem you're just trying to win it because it's a matter of yeah. life and death <laughs> yes yes and so what do you do in that scenario specifically when resentment's involved because as you know mm. resentment is a catalyst like resentment shows up when you're mad at your partner but you're not mad at your partner about the present thing it's yes. about all the things that you haven't said yet yeah and so yeah that sounds yeah, go ahead because I want to. That sounds that. like my own. That sounds like my own marriage most of the time. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say is so when a couple comes in and they're learning how to do that, how do you help them navigate old resentments? Because resentments, I mean, that's buried. Yeah, yeah. So I am very direct with that. So when I'm doing couples therapy, you know, I have I use pretty like pretty. Uh, textbook Gottman method for couples counseling. So I have the couple in first, we talk about what the situation is currently, you know, it's usually doesn't end up too heated in that conversation. And then I have, well, I'd like to have two separate interviews with each partner. Mm -hmm. So a chance for one partner to speak, a chance for the other partner to speak. Um, and then we come back, get back together. And my my theory is, or the Gottman theory is, is that we don't do any more individual sessions after those first two. So when we come back together, the first thing I talk about is is old resentments, and I use the I use the argument that like let's talk about, you know, what's been sort of lingering for ten years or whatever. Even if we can't resolve it, even if we have no intention to resolve it, but let's get it out so that it doesn't come out later on when I don't expect it, right? Like maybe we've made some progress at some point and things are going well and all of a sudden the kitchen sink comes out and I'm like, oh no, you know, we're <laughs> back right. to square one, right? <laughs> at least if I can expect the kitchen sink, then we can sort of diffuse it a bit better. So mm -hmm. yeah, old resentments, I, I, I try and at least, at least name them early. And I try and tell 
couples as well. Like these resentments, like they they create a wall, and that wall isn't on in front of you. It's it's between you, right? Mm-hmm. And the more you the more you let those resentments get bigger and bigger, the, the greater the wall is going to be between you. The harder it's going to be to to sort of smash it down or peek through or whatever you want to mm-hmm. do. Certainly not impossible, but really you're making you're making the job more difficult. Yeah, and I mean that comes up in individual counseling. In from what I've seen, in the guise of a core wound, right? So the the wall is just yeah. something separate. Resentment is something separate, which is sensitive, and mm-hmm. all you can do with it is protect yourself from it. So it's yeah. like that hot stove situation constantly. Yeah, yeah. And so to constant be able to avoidance. name it, yeah, constant avoidance, and to be able to name it is like one of the one of the hardest like wrestling matches you can get because your entire system does not want to go there. Yeah. 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 And in couples counseling too, I find like when we're naming it, like that's when you get more into the healthy conflict styles, right? Where you're talking about not necessarily, you know, what happened to you or how the partner hurts you in this way, but like how that made you feel Mm -hmm. like, like I felt like this about this, you know, and I think that that that's how I try. I don't know. I don't think that we go there initially. I don't think that I think that that's probably later on in counseling. That's a skill that develops. But certainly that's where I want to get to mm-hmm. is where couples can say, I felt this about this and not necessarily say you hurt me when you did this. To me. Mm-hmm. It's two you know, different just, things. Yeah, yeah, I think that it can be it's two different perspectives, I suppose, on the same thing, because. Yeah, the I feel statement. You know, if you're in a relationship with someone that cares about you, that's going to have an impact on them, mm-hmm. and hopefully, it motivates them to to have these negotiations, to have this healthy conflict, in order to get to the other side of it. Right? I think I've always viewed—I don't think it's in the gotten method. I must have learned it somewhere else. But I always view conflict as like the dark tunnel, right? But there's a there's a healthy light on the other side mm-hmm. that you have to go through the dark tunnel to get to the other side. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's. That's a really deep statement because we talk about this all the time in like uh, psychoanalysis, like you were mentioning yeah. about Adler. Yeah. That's the repressed unconscious, right? We yeah. see this with like in myth and legends, they always talk about the heroes have to go through the forest, right? And they yes. always find a monster. Well, that's yeah. the dark tunnel. Yeah. It's the conflict where you're encountering the repressed beast, whatever that is. Yeah. Whether it's like growing up and you were dismissed and that's the core wound or mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. It's once you can encounter that and name it, it gives it a whole other thing. Instead of mm-hmm. saying, describe to me the dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Describe to me the <laughs> feeling of seeing the dragon. And yeah. Then we can deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like if, if it's named, right. If it's, uh, if we know what we're dealing with, then we can, we can look at addressing that problem. But, if it's just a sort of a looming fear, right? It's mm-hmm. it's hard to address it at that point. So, like, and it's uh, I think it's from before when you were talking about just the problems or dealing with those kitchen sink issues in couples counseling too. I always I try to always tell couples anyway is that I don't. <laughs> I always end up saying it this way, but I hope I never say it this way in session. That I don't care what the problem is between mm-hmm. them. I hope I don't say it that way. I like. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, the priority in, in couples counseling is not the problem itself, but mm-hmm. how you resolve that problem. That's right. And if you can do that in a healthy way, then it can be, it can be a real building block for a, for a relationship, right? This thing, this problem that's been 
you know, tearing down the relationship can then be a sort of impetus for actually helping it grow because you develop those skills to have healthy conflict and then, you know, it opens up other aspects of your relationship. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me because the problem, when we, I mean, when we call it a problem, that gives it certain like teeth. Yeah. Like we have to fix this thing, but really the problem is simply, uh, in my opinion, a misstep. It's like a symptom of just being out of step with each other. Yeah. And so if you focus on getting back into step with each other, then you can address these yeah. things from a team perspective. Like let's both. Yeah, no, that's that, that's very well said. Actually. Yeah, that's very well said. The team aspect because that comes up at couples counseling a lot. Because I feel like at least at least one partner in every every couple that I've seen, and very often it's both partners. That's what they're longing for, right? They're longing for that team. They're longing mm -hmm. for someone that's going to take their side, you know, with whatever's going on negatively in their life, even if it's outside the relationship. That they want a team member. Mm -hmm. Anyway, one of the other things I was going to draw on there is when you were talking about, we were talking about the problem, I, like I try not to name it a problem too, or I try to let, at least take the focus off whatever the problem is, because like you said, it sort of gives it teeth, but also I think that in the, in couples counseling too, that it all, then it becomes a, it becomes a game of who can sort of put the blame for that problem mm -hmm. best on the other part. Right? That's right. And it's. And again, of course, it, it's just a, it's just an unproductive exercise. Like even very often, one partner is willing to take the blame for the problem entirely, right? But what have we done? We haven't developed any healthy conflict. We haven't resolved anything, and we haven't been able to move on to, to better, to better things. Yeah, that's right. Because you, you wonder if you look at the method of taking <laughs> the blame, did that come from? a defense okay well i better just shut this person up now or oh well, yeah. i don't want to get into a fight so you become like you take a yeah. fawning stance yeah and then when Try you it. take the fawning stance it's on your back and now resentment is building because you know that yeah. it's that's not how this should have gone yeah yeah it's just going to add more pressure yeah it's it's that idea of keeping the peace right which is mm. you know it's a pretty it's a pretty common male um trait where we're trying to keep the peace in the home all the time but in the end you're exactly right, right? We're just, we're not resolving anything and we're actually adding to resentment. We're actually adding to, we're adding to the problems and not, and not developing uh, good solutions. Yeah, in the end, it's all about a team. So I guess the last question I would have to kind of level the conversation up into marriage, because you deal with families too. So you bring the kids yeah. into the mix. This is something I've never even thought of. So I'm completely out of my scope. Yeah. Uh, but how does that work? It works. So I try not to do a whole lot of it myself as well, because, you know, I have, I have opinions about having young kids at home and whether it's a great idea to bring them to counseling or not. So it's one thing if your kids are of a certain age where they understand, you know, what's happening, things like that, but get lots of requests for young kids who are having issues at home and being a part of, of family counseling. So, yeah, I don't do a lot of that. So for me, family counseling in the ones that I've done, it does look a lot like it's a real focus on the parents, right? Mm -hmm. So it ends up being a lot of couples therapy, I find, and a lot of this more, more, uh, more, um, more direct focus on conflict resolution and how to, how to argue well, how to conflict well, 
so that we're not so again something that we talked about earlier you're creating a good example for that for your kids not just in the family but then outside of the family and in their own relationships as well but primarily in the home in with mm-hmm. the family if everybody is developing these healthy conflict skills then there's ways to, to move past the conflict that you move ways to move past the problems into better areas so that's how that looks pretty much like couples counseling does for me anyway just i guess more the direct focus on a lot more of the conflict and having healthy conflict and what that looks like that makes sense because i guess the behaviors of the children that are less than desirable are stemming from what they've seen and what they watch so they're just uh just another symptom of the couple managing themselves which reminds me of a hilarious quote that i learned from narrative therapy where the practitioner said that parents get the children they deserve and I remember I laughed really hard at that <laughs> because it makes perfect sense. <laughs> but it's so harsh. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to write that one down. That's awesome. Get the kids that they deserve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. Um, gosh, there was something I was going to say about that. I started writing notes. I should have started this earlier because... You say something and then it like sparks my sparks my interest and then it goes on to other things that spark my other interest. <laughs> you made me laugh and now I forgot everything. Welcome to chatting with Chuck. That's what I was going to say is that, yeah, it ends up being a lot of marital counseling and a lot of empowerment of the parents too, right? Because mm. what I try and tell parents all the time is like, absolutely, you know, I've got training in some of this stuff and I can help you. But in the end, you're the best counselor your child is ever you're the one that they trust the most you're the one they're most connected with you're the one they're going to listen to most even if it doesn't seem like they're listening so Mm -hmm. you know i try and empower parents the best way i can again usually it's about it's about helping the parents sort of get on the same team the same you know have the same conflict styles the same stuff that we've talked about in couples therapy so that they can then be a good team for their kids and, and teach them the same healthy stuff that they're learning as well that's awesome. That makes the most sense to me. And that's one of my favorite quotes to quote to people. So, <laughs> it's so true. Kids, it are, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to make that part of my, I'm going to put that on a, on a wall or something. <laughs> Courtney will let me paint it on the wall somewhere. Good quote. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, great. So this has been great. Like I really appreciate you being on the show here. And no, we, like uh, I said, thanks for having me. And we covered a lot in a very short period of time, which is just means we have more conversations to be had in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, this was a blast. Like anytime, anytime. Awesome. All right. So before I shut down the podcast, can you uh, retell everyone where to find you, the websites and all that stuff? Yep. So if you look up Courtney James uh, Psychotherapy and Counseling, we're out here in Kempville. And uh, yeah, if you look up the staff list, you'll find me on there. And of course, on the Psychology Today uh, listing, you'll find me. Just look up my name, Randy Kozlowski. And Yep, fire me an email or whatever your best method is of communication and I will get back to you. Awesome. All right, well, thanks again for being on the show. And for everyone listening, you can find me at couch.2.couch on Instagram and chuckleblanccounseling.ca as well as www.ksrc.ca, Kempville Stress Relief Center, where I work out of. Drop me a line, send me an email, leave a comment about the show, and we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody.